Welcome to Jesus Pursuit's weekly sermon, where our mission is bringing the good news and demonstrating the kingdom. Join us live for Worship in the Word, Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on our YouTube channel. We hope you are encouraged and equipped by this week's word with our senior pastor, Emily Tadro. Hey. Okay. For some reason, it just looks really lopsided in here this morning, so... I'm going to try and give equal attention, but um, good morning. I'm stalling. I, I have wrestled all week, and I've been like, I don't have a word. I don't have a word because I don't want to necessarily give the word that I have, um, <laughs> I, but I have to. I'm going to. I will. Um, do you ever have that? You're like, yeah, no, that can't be it. That can't be it. Are we dismissing the kiddos? We need to dismiss the kids. So kids can go get signed into Kids Church right now. Sorry about that. Have fun, guys. Thank you. You know, I like to be an encourager, and I'm a very optimistic person. If you didn't know, I won a scholarship for optimism. It's true. Money for college for optimism. And I am saying this word this morning very optimistically. <laughs> but sometimes, um, sometimes the truth, I don't know, it just stings a little bit. And I feel a little stung even by the words that the Lord has been saying to me. So, um, but you know, it's good to hear the truth. And alignment is important. And um, even repentance is an important thing. So I just want you to know that you're not getting spanked. And I don't know if I should have even set it up that way. But just, just know that God is he's doing a good thing in us. And it's his loving kindness that leads us to repentance. So... You know, the reason we gather, the reason we come into this place, while I just enjoyed so thoroughly what we just did, and I personally rarely ever want to leave that spot of just being in God's presence, we were not meant to stay here. The church... You often will hear this in churches, and I just want to call bullcrap on this phrase. That the church is a hospital for the sick. No, it's not. It's a place where the sick are free to come and be healed and transformed and delivered and set free and walk in the power of God. Like, if we just call ourselves a hospital, then we just, I mean, like, in hospital, people are sick, and they just stay sick. They get, they get their needs met, but they don't stay in the hospital forever. And the church is not meant to just be a place to, like, help us feel better all the time. It's a place where it's a family, where we are encountering God 
And out of that encounter with God, we're transformed. And we do the Great Commission. Jesus never told the disciples to go and wait and never leave. Go to that upper room and don't you ever get out. It's not safe for you. These streets are not safe. You go and you stay there until I return. Did he say that? No, he said, go and wait for power to be filled and then be sent out. The, the words of Jesus are full of commissioning, and he never calls us to safety, actually. And I want to say that the biggest hindrance, I just I feel this, the biggest obstacle, the biggest hindrance to the church being powerful in these days are our love for safety and comfort. We cry out for revival. I, I have carry the revival on my cup. Like somehow me holding that and drinking this water will somehow make revival happen. It's a, it's a reminder of like what I'm called to. But... To carry revival, I got to be willing to go. And to be willing to go, I have to be willing to look at myself and the things that I hold so dear. And I just hear the Lord challenging us this morning. He's challenging me. Will you surrender your obsession with comfort? Will you surrender your absolute requirement for safety? Because unless you're willing to go and offer that and be willing to forsake that, you can't go where God is leading us. And I mean, we might just need to sit on that sentence for a minute. You can't go where God is leading you unless you will surrender your requirement for safety and comfort. And this shows up in so many spaces and places in our lives. This is like the decline of the church... I mean, it's not about numbers, but it is. This room used to have 700 people in it on a random Sunday. You know, we start preaching mission and go. It's like, you know, I like what they're doing down the road. Growth. I'm not talking about church growth for the sake of bottoms in the seat. It's, that's not the point. The most church growth that happens in America is transfer growth. It's one person going from one church that they decided they didn't like the message or they didn't like the worship or, man, they never wash the windows here. Like, I'm going to try something else. At a different place, they only speak for 20 minutes. And we're in and out in 45 minutes. And we have gotten like the whole thing 
I'm going to go there. Or in the opposite way, they never closed their doors during COVID. And I'm going to go there because that must mean that they are really doing this stuff. Like, that's what we do. We do our comfort. We do our preference. We go for safety. And the Lord is just like, mm, no, we are not going to go where I'm leading you unless you surrender this. Ah, Jesus commissioned his disciples in Matthew 28, go and make disciples in my name, teaching all that you've been taught. In John 17, he commissioned them again, and he said, this love that you and I have, I want you to have the same love for one another. And this expression and this demonstration of love, not just behind closed doors, not just when you're in the church building, but everywhere that you go is actually going to be the message that unbelieving people are going to say, God, Jesus is real. He, he did come. And this is the demonstration of that, that you love one another. And that same love is in you. In John 20, he says to them, as right before he ascends to the Father, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus is ascending Messiah. He was sent here. He left comfort and safety. Man, just looking at the incarnation of Jesus, him coming to earth, man, as a baby, submitting himself to the process of life, being born, being vulnerable, being vulnerable, <laughs> completely exposed. If, they, if mom and dad didn't take care of him, he was, he was a goner. Like he was completely left comfort, comfort and safety. And he did the process of the mission that the father sent him for because of love. Love motivated him. And love is the thing that motivates us. Um, so I just totally opened Facebook somehow. How did that even happen? Goodness gracious. Did you say it's the devil? <laughs> well, he's a liar. Anyway, I'm back. I'm back. Facebook's gone. That was weird. Um, so, you know, the disciples, they went, and they waited, and they were filled with power. And out of that being filled with power, that infilling of the Holy Spirit and fire on their heads, they began preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom immediately. Immediately. They stumble out of the upper room, and they start preaching. And, and people are convicted of the message of the gospel of the kingdom. And they come into the kingdom, and their eyes are open to see, and the church is birthed. The way is birthed. The Jesus people movement is birthed in that moment because 
they were filled with power, and they went out. Now, they went out in, you guys know this, but they went out into hostile territory. And they preached a message that their Savior had just been crucified for. They left safety and comfort because love compelled them to go. And the fire of God compelled them. And when they did, people repented. If you read in Acts, it says they were cut to their core upon hearing these words, and they repented and came into relationship with Jesus. And as the church grew and as people were added to the the way, healings and deliverances began to happen more and more and more. And the people of Judea, as they became followers of Jesus, it continued to really disrupt the religious system, the political system, and just the systems of this world. Bless you. And it really ruffled feathers. And you start reading about persecution from that point on. Um, In Acts 8, if you want to turn there, you can. Acts 8, verse 1. This is where um, Saul is persecuting. This is where we meet uh, him holding coats while um, Stephen's being stoned. So it says, Now Saul agreed to be an accomplice to Stephen's stoning and participated in his execution. If you don't know who Stephen is, he was someone who came into the kingdom. He was a new believer, and he was one of these ones who were filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to share the message of the gospel of the kingdom. And he shared a humdinger of a message, and it brought conviction. It brought conviction. And some people were repentant, and others were angry. And it says that they, they set out to stone Stephen. And they did. They killed him. And so... Um, Okay, so that's where we are right now. From that day on, a great persecution of the church in Jerusalem began. And all the believers scattered into the countryside of Judea and among the Samaritans, except the apostles who remained behind in Jerusalem. God-fearing men gave Stephen a proper burial and mourned greatly over his death. And then Saul mercilessly persecuted the church of God, going from house to house into the homes of believers to arrest both men and women, and to drag them off to prison. That sounds scary. Although the believers were scattered by persecution, they preached the wonderful news of the word of God everywhere they went. Philip traveled to a Samaritan city and preached to them the wonderful news of the anointed one. And the crowds were eager to receive Philip's message and were persuaded by the many miracles and wonders he performed. Many demon-possessed people were set free and delivered as evil spirits came out of them with loud screams and shrieks. And many who were lame and paralyzed were also healed. And I want you to just hear this last sentence just in your spirit. This resulted in an uncontainable joy filling the city. The demonstration of the kingdom resulted in an uncontainable joy filling the city. 
So persecution is happening. People are being dragged from their homes, beaten, persecuted, taken to prison. Yet the gospel is going forth, and the scattering of people actually propelled the gospel further than it could have ever gone because people scattered, and they carried the message with them, and they demonstrated the kingdom where they went, and this released uncontainable joy in the city. So from that day on, persecution. And honestly, in most of the nations of the earth, you see historically persecution of believers. America, we've been really, really blessed. Or not. I mean... I don't like persecution. The thought of it sounds horrible to me. Not interested. Thanks. I like my safety and my comfort. But we have had this history of freedom, and that's what the kingdom is all about. But in that space of freedom, maybe we've gotten a little apathetic to the um, importance of laying our life down for the gospel. The apostles and believers' response to threats and persecution, you can read it in Acts 4, um, going backwards a little bit, but I think this is another powerful. says, um, this is in verse 23, it says, as soon as they released from custody, Peter and John, they went to other believers and explained all that had happened and the high priest with the high priest and elders. And when the believers heard their report, this is the response of the believers to hearing about the persecution that Peter and John just endured. And also, let's back up a little bit. They tell them, stop preaching this message And Peter and John say, we will not stop. We cannot stop. We've been forever changed by this message. Do to us what you must, but we will not stop. So then they come and they tell this. And when the believers hear this, they raise their voice in unity and pray. And they declare to the Lord their commitment, and they say, they go back and they, um, they quote things from the Psalms, how dare the nation, how the nation's plan, you know, they're raging, they're raging, um, their foolish plots are futile, look at how the kings of the earth, they do these things against the anointed Messiah, and they say, but Lord, they did all this to Jesus, that your purpose and will had already determined according to the destiny that you marked out for him. So now, Lord, when we hear these threats from the outside, Lord, we say, listen to the threats of harm towards us and empower us, God, as your servants to speak the word of God freely and courageously. That is the response of the believers in the early church. Listen to these threats how they rage and plot against you 
and your will and your ways. But we are going to stand in the midst of these threats. And we say, Lord, in the midst of these threats, grant to us boldness. That we will preach your word boldly with signs and wonders, with miracles falling. And they, they say this, stretch out, that we would stretch out our hand. Would you stretch out your hand of power through us? to heal and to move in signs and wonders by the name of your holy son, Jesus. And the Lord responds to them with an earthquake. Yeah, I heard you. And I moved. I moved instantly into action. That's powerful stuff. And so I want to say this morning... That that's what the early church modeled for us. That we do not have to be in fear or worry about our safety or worry about our comfort or worry about any of the things that we have grown accustomed to as Americans, frankly. The blessing of living in a free space. I will never disparage that. People paid for that with their lives and with their blood, and I'm so thankful But we shouldn't just look that in the face and just not recognize what it was. And the freedom, and the freedom, friends. What an open door we have. It shouldn't require persecution for us to be moved to action. We have, like, an American Express, like, black card We get to do freely, move freely, walk freely, boldly. And thankfully, right now, without threat of persecution. And I just want to say, someone not liking what you have to say is not persecution. Someone challenging you on Facebook is not persecution. I don't like it. It makes me feel angry inside, gets me swirly when people say mean things to me, but that's not persecution. Persecution is when someone is at your door dragging your child out into the streets, and you don't know if you will ever see them again. Persecution is at the threat of death, rape, torture, beatings, having your fingernails pulled out, like all of these horrible things that Christians have endured for generations and are still experiencing right now in other nations. That's persecution. We don't know persecution in this nation. And I pray we don't. But I can tell you we will if for sure if we don't deal with our obsession with safety and comfort. Ugh. And the church will continue to decline. And that's not a nice thing to say. But the kingdom of God will not advance unless we go. It's just Christians moving around from place to place. That's cool. I like that. We're one big family, but it's meant to grow. It's meant to be the leaven that 
Angela talked about. That when you go out from the place of safety and comfort, and, you know, every pastor in America says, how is faith spelled? R-I-S-K. It is. It's risk. Faith looks like doing something. It looks like stepping out. Sure. I don't know that Romeo has ever done this ever in his entire life. Let's go. Well, I'm going to confess my sin. <laughs> so Thursday afternoon, um, it might have been Friday afternoon, I have a, a new school across from me. It used to be a grammar school. Now it's more of a tech school, older kids in there, high school age kids. And I didn't know it, but they have mentally challenged kids in there. And I'm not sure if that's just the second part of the day or whatever. I was doing a little project at my house. I went out to my truck because I parked my two trucks right across the street from me by there. And I noticed a whole group of kids, probably about 12, with about three or four adults walking them up the street. And there were some of these mentally challenged kids just walking them out. And when I got over to my truck, there was a, a young girl, she was probably about maybe 15, 16, and two of the gals were trying to get her to continue to walk, and she was saying, no, I'm not going, I'm not going, I'm not going. She was in a mental state, anxiety or whatever it was, uh, mentally challenged as well. And I'm standing there, and the Lord said, offer to pray for her. I think the Lord said that. He, it might have just been my optimism. <laughs> and I chickened out. I couldn't believe I chickened out because anybody that knows me knows I usually will jump right in on something. Um, and I've been in this type of situation before, and I have done the prayer. So walked back to my, my house just across the street, and then I had to go back to the truck for something else. No, I purposely walked back over there. And I'm just watching what's going on. And now it's just one adult standing with the girl. And again, I was like, just do it. And I was like, nah, I, don't want, I can't be bothered or whatever, my chickenness. Um, so oh, I see what you mean. There's people over here too. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so um, with that, uh, I start to walk back to the house. And I notice the whole entourage of kids and adults are coming back. And in my brain, I was like, that girl could have been healed. I really thought she was going to get healed if I prayed for her, and I still chickened out. I don't know why. It's stupid. Um, and I thought, man, that would have been the very thing. All the rejoicing, everybody, what? Uh, you know, and if she was healed, or even if they had gotten her out of her funk, you know, even if she had snapped out of that. Yeah, so... I don't know. You, might go, you guys might end up in a situation like that pretty soon because that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And I failed. I failed him, and I failed you. Sorry. Well, you get another chance, so that's good. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Romeo. Like, I mean, can anybody else relate to that story? Yes. And so look around, Romeo. You're in the company of many. Um, we do this daily. And you're exactly right. It is 
fear. And in the same way that that girl was saying, I won't go, I won't go, I won't go, because anxiety took over. This is what is happening amongst us, and it is holding us back. It is holding the, the plan of God to encounter the whole world with his love. It's, it's not happening in the same way because of our love for safety and comfort. And we have to allow him to challenge our hearts with that. The believer's response was to allow, in, in Acts, that section that I just read to you, they said, uh-uh, these threats, no. Lord, let holy boldness arise in us. Let holy boldness arise in spite of threats. And it, their response wasn't to rage against the government. It wasn't to rage against the, the, the people that were threatening them. What their response was, was to release the kingdom of God more and more and more. You're going to push back on the kingdom of God. You're going to push back on what he is doing in our lives because of what he has done in us and the transformation that has taken place. We're going to show the kingdom of God more and more and more. So it's not about like, again, like we talked last week, flesh and blood, principalities, are what we're going after. And so you operate in the opposite spirit. When fear comes to try and take hold of you, and it loves to do it, what is the truth, Nicole? The devil's a liar. Look upon these threats, Lord. How dare they threaten us? They think they can shut us up because... There's a threat against our safety. We're not afraid of being unsafe. We're ready to lay our lives down for the sake of the gospel. If you can resolve this on the inside of you, there is not a threat that can come and shut your mouth. You know, the disciples walked with Jesus day in and day out. They spent a very intensive time with him, right? They didn't walk in this boldness when they were with him side by side. There were so many times they were like, no, Jesus, come on, let's go. It's getting rough. We got to go. Let's, let's go to the other side. They didn't carry this boldness when he was right there next to him. It was when he left and he filled them with his spirit and he commissioned them and said, it's, it's up to you. And they were filled with the fire of God. The fire of God comes to make you brave. And it comes to expose our weakness. Have you ever been filled with the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden all the junk in your life starts going and coming up and out? Yes, that's what it's for. That's what the fire of God is for. It's not to make you shake and bake on the floor and charismatic like, let's feel good. We do that, and I like it. It's fun. But that's not what it's for. It's to radically shift you on the inside and make you powerful and brave and to send you out in power and boldness. And the fire of God is to expose the weakness so that you can repent from it quickly and be transformed. And 
the pressure cooker and the fire, the pressure cooker of not being in their safe space with Jesus anymore, that's a safe space to be. You have a storm, and Jesus is like, be quiet, be still, peace, be still, storm. The waves, you know, go into peace. The winds stop. That's safe. You're hungry, and Jesus multiplies the food. You're never worried about being without when you're with Jesus. They were in their safest space. You're sick? He's going to heal you. You're demon-possessed? He's going to set you free. Jesus does all these things because that is who he is. And so now he's not here. He's here. And you have to go, this is who I am. This is who he's made me to be. This is who he is in me. He's anointed us to preach the good news, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set free the oppressed, right? Okay, so the fire did what it was supposed to do in the upper room with the disciples. The persecution unlocked something within them. And they realized we have to be willing to risk it all. We cannot play it safe. And they were all in. And I just hear like the Lord saying today, are you all in? Will you stop playing it safe? You were never called to play safe or small. Never, never, ever. You weren't called to live in a hospital and feel nice and have your needs met all the time. There's a season for that. And that is, I'm like, we as the church want to Heal people, hearts, mind, body, soul, spirit. We don't want to leave you broken. But guess what? Once you're all fixed, <laughs> and even before you're all fixed, but when you're starting to like be able to walk a little bit, let's go. Let's go. I don't want to play safe anymore. It's actually really, frankly, kind of boring. Don't you think? Angela has a song where she sings, I'm tired of conveyor belt Christianity. Aren't you? Aren't you tired of conveyor belt Christianity? Well, it doesn't change unless you do. It doesn't change unless you allow the fire of God to do what it's meant to do. The, the disciples, they were all in, and I believe they remembered the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, where he talks about the coming end of days, the destruction of the temple, the persecution. They heard it from his mouth. He told them, he warned them of what was going to happen. But with that same Message. He talked about the radical power and demonstration of the reality of the kingdom of God that would come alongside. And I think that empowered them to keep going. And I just want to say, go read Matthew 24. I want to say, it's happening whether we like it or not. It's going on all around us. America we have it nice right now. We've had it nice for over 200 years. 
And it feels, I mean, I know for some of us it feels like it's like, what is this place? I don't recognize it. It's going to get a whole lot worse. So just speak to the anxiety on the inside of you and say, like Esther, if I die, I die. But I will live for the kingdom of God. Lord, look upon these threats and empower your servants to boldly preach the word of God. Empower with signs and wonders, with the demonstration of the kingdom following. That's our response. And before Jesus taught about this parable in, or not this parable, but taught about uh, the coming end of days in Matthew 24, he shared a parable out of Matthew 22 about the wedding feast. And man, this challenges me. Because I see myself in some of these characters in this wedding story. Jesus told them parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they refused to come. So he sent other servants to them, and he said to tell them, tell them, the feast has been prepared, the bulls have been fattened, the cattle have been, I'm reading a different um, translation than I meant to, the cattle has been killed, everything is ready, come to the banquet. But the guests that he had invited ignored them. They went their own way. One went to his farm, another to do his business. And others, this is, this is stuck out to me. Others seized his messengers, insulted them, and killed them. So then the king was furious. And he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, and the guests that I invited aren't worthy of honor. So now go out to the street corners and invite everyone that you see. So the servants brought in everyone that they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. I love this highway and byway story of the wedding supper of the Lamb. You know, this... This wedding feast story, I really believe, is Jesus warning his disciples and all of us about our preoccupations and our distractions and, again, our love for safety and comfort. Like, they didn't want to go. They didn't want to leave what they were in the middle of. Does that resonate with anybody? But this whole thing... Jesus did has always been about this wedding. And the invitation went out long ago. And it's still going out. And, you know, the messengers were the disciples. They were those who had been transformed by Jesus. The king is our father, God. The messengers are these prophets that he sends to summon the people to enter this love feast of Jesus. And it's all about the wedding of the lamb to the bride of Christ and a glorious feast that he has prepared for us. And this message has been going out. And the threats that the disciples experience 
are like these ones that are saying, you know, when they went and the religious system, the religious people said, eh. They, they didn't like their message and they didn't want to hear what they had to say and they killed them. Some of them, right? And then the message continues to go out. Come to this wedding. Come in. Anybody can come. It doesn't matter if you are good or if you're bad. It doesn't matter even if you have wedding clothes because those are provided. If you go on and read, it, those were provided. And there's a part in the story where someone didn't wear the wedding clothes and the king was like, what are you doing here? I already gave them to you. Like, put them on. We love what we love and we like what we like. And we don't like to be challenged in any of those things. And we might just miss the whole thing, the whole intention of it all, if we don't deal with our love of self, safety, comfort. This is heavy. But if we do... We get to be part of those messengers that go and gather the ones from the highways and the byways, from anywhere in the street, and invite anybody who is willing, who wants to come, to come in and be a part. Nobody has to miss it. Yeah? In our Western churches, we often respond to the call to come and get ready for the wedding feast by, oh, I'm busy. I got some stuff going on. I got some things I'm trying to work out in my heart right now. I'm dealing with some stuff. And we do. There's nothing wrong with that, dealing with stuff. But staying outside of what we were called to do and being who we're supposed to be because of those things, that's where the problem lies, right? What are the things, like, okay, so we've become a lot like those in this story. And I think consumerism has really, really pushed us even farther in that. We have become consumers in our faith and in our journey with God. That we would be like those that shrug their shoulders, busy weeding, busy doing, working in our shop. Or we have nothing better to do, so we beat the messenger. In Isaiah 25, God talks about this feast, this wedding. He says, but here on this mountain, the God of angel armies will throw a feast for all the people of the world. A feast of the finest foods, a feast with vintage wines, a feast with seven courses, a feast with lavish and gourmet desserts. This is the message translation. And here on this mountain, God will banish the pall of doom hanging over the people and the shadow of doom darkening the nations. And he will banish death forever. And God will wipe away every sign of disgrace from his people wherever they are. Yes, God says so. This is that wedding that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 22. This is God's intention. He wants everyone everywhere to come in and 
that thing that keeps us from coming in is the very thing he wants to eliminate from our life. And the wedding is what does it. That love feast with Jesus is what does it. That union with Jesus is what breaks off the fear. Because we can't really do it on our own, right? That was God's intention with this feast. And I know I can say this for myself. At times I've been too indifferent. At times I've been too focused on my day-to-day. I can't tell you how many times I let the crisis of life, other people's crisis, my own stuff, just constantly coming at me. I'm like, I don't even know if I talk to you all day today, Lord. Because I'm busy putting out fires. How, how weird is that? Right? We're supposed to do all those things with him. Our preoccupations, um, like even good things. I honestly, I know that I have held back in doing certain things for things that sound like good reasons. My kids. Like anybody, there's nothing wrong with you, kids. You guys didn't do anything wrong. But like, that's my thing. Does that relate to anybody? My business, my health, my money. What are the things that are the thing that keep us from coming in or keep us from stepping out? What are the things that we are holding, the, the comfort, our comfort zone? So, I know this feels like, okay, you've pointed out the problem for a long time now. What is the solution? Because we could keep harping on how bad it is. Start, you know, whacking ourselves. And we could go around the room. We could all confess. Maybe we should. But... We can also do this with the Lord. Check our hearts. What's going on in here, God? But this is a diagnosis of sickness. What is the cure? It's bigger than us individually, but it starts with starts with me. It starts with you individually before the Lord, right? It has to start there. But then what about the bigger issue in the church in America, in the church in Oregon, and in the church in Albany with our preoccupation with comfort and safety? What is the solution? I think it's a pretty complex conversation. And I think the answer has nuance and all of those things that we won't be able to completely just do in a service. But it starts with aligning ourselves to truth. It starts with acknowledging we got a problem. I am preoccupied. I do love comfort. I do love safety. I do love what I love. And I don't like to be challenged. We need to recognize and just, okay, we've got a problem. We are an independent people. Oregon, we need to recognize that we love our independence and our pioneering spirit, and don't you put your control on me. 
right? Yeah, like that's our thing. We love that about ourselves. But guess what? God doesn't. I'm just going to be that frank. He loves our pioneering spirit, but our independence from aligning ourselves to him and doing what he says and obeying and thinking that our way is better and refusing to submit our opinions to him. That's a problem. And we need to repent from it. And we need times of refreshing to come in. We need a move of the Holy Spirit to come. We need deliverance. We need to be delivered from that thing. It is a bondage. And we can't, like, pet the demon in the room anymore and call it cute. It's not cute at all. So we see it for what it is. And I think today is like a start of that. We see you thing. You independent spirit. We see you. I see you at work in my life. And today, I am saying no. Today, I am saying no. And I want to align myself with the mind of Christ. The will of Christ with the commissioning that he gave me, where he said, go. Love not your lives unto death. Go. And he said countless times, don't be afraid, for I am with you wherever you go, even to the end. Don't be afraid. We can just start with repentance. And we may have to just force ourselves across our chicken line. We might just have to say, I will not tolerate fear in my life. It does not get to have a hold on me anymore. And we may have to challenge one another. When we see people stuck in fear, in bondage, we might have to go and say, I love you. This is not who you are, and this is not who you've been called to. Come on, let's go together. Let's do this together. We, we tolerate and like pet and make nice things that are not nice. Yes. Demons are not nice. They're not cute, they're not fun, and they're not meant to be our friends. They're enemies, and they must be treated as such. Uprooted, kicked out, displaced. That's where it starts. We have to challenge some of our thinking. Is that God? Is that actually scriptural? Or is this my American thinking? Nothing wrong with American thinking for Americans. But we're Christians first. We're followers of Jesus first. 
And we have to check that American spirit first with Jesus because we are actually foreigners. This is not our homeland. We're visitors. We're passing through. And I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And that rule and reign must come first in our lives. His authority is my authority. His, his, his laws, his precepts, his judgments, they're good. I can trust them. And I have to submit everything to that. I got lots more to say, but I'm just going to, I'm going to say, you know, when, when stuff, hard stuff, I won't call it persecution because it wasn't persecution, but when hardship happens, like on a global level or on a national level, there's something that happens on the inside of us. Let's say 9-11, for instance. When that happened, something rose up on the inside of us to say, I will display the light that I carry because the world needs this right now. This is the answer for the insanity that's happening amongst us, right? Can you just, I mean, if you weren't born in that time yet, some of you in this room don't know that season, but I can remember exactly where I was. I know exactly what I was wearing. I remember when those planes hit those twin towers. I remember the sheer panic that hit our nation, but I also remember seeing the church rise up. Like, that's what persecution did for the early church. And we can do these things without persecution. I believe that we can. I don't know that we will always have the luxury of doing that. But what if we seek the Lord to heal our hearts today first and our minds and to break off, confess it, break off passivity, break off apathy, break off complacency. We repent for our love of security. We repent for all of that. And we ask him to put a fresh zeal in our hearts and a fresh boldness within us in spite of the threats of perceived threats, threats to our safety, like, if we don't have persecution, we do have threats to our safety, right? Even per perception's reality for a lot of us. We'll start with that. To shift us out of being distracted and to, for us to walk in boldness, to preach the gospel with signs and wonders, to respond to the invitation and to be ready Repentance first. You know, um, what's happening right now in Israel is a form of persecution. It's terrible what's happening. There's Armenian, I don't know if you guys even know about a genocide that's happening with Armenian believers. Um, it's happened for generations and it's happening again right now. Um, I mean, there's so many places of the earth. Iran, right now, and Afghanistan, there's immense persecution. To be a Christian in either of those places, is an, it's a death sentence. And do you know where the fastest growing church in, a, in the world is? 
It's Iran. Where it's the deepest, you know, place of persecution. It's the fastest growing church in the world. Second to Afghanistan. And do you know who is leading the church largely in this place? It's teenage girls. The scum of the scum in that nation, the worthless, the ones who have no value and are destined to die anyways, they don't have a hope or a future, according to that nation. They are not, they are not valued, but you know what? They found someone who does value them. And they have met love himself. And they have been transformed by him, and it has empowered them to say, I will not, I will not live in fear of my life or my safety. I will preach this message, and the church is exploding because of teenage girls. And I just want to say to us, if teenage girls in oppression with the threat of just like, if you hear what's happening to them, it's atrocious. If teenage girls can do this, friends, we can. (laughs) Emmy and Audrey, you guys, I'm not talking about you, teenage girls. I mean, you can do this too. But like what's happening in these horrible places where persecution is happening It's atrocious. And I just want to say to all the men and women in this room, our response is, Lord, look upon these threats. Instead of us running for cover, we say, fill us with boldness. Grant us boldness. Empower us, not just with boldness, but with signs and wonders, because this is part of your commission, and we will go. And guess what? In America, friends, it looks like literally going to your mailbox. It's not hard. It's being friendly. It's, it's praying for the little girl that's having a meltdown in your front yard that's passing by. The Lord is like, here, try it. Here's one. Like, it's like fish jumping in your boat. In America, it's time for us to step out of our comfort zone. Fear has to go. Fear has to die. Love of safety and comfort has to be submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. So let's stand. I would love to make it nice for you. I'll make it nice right here. Holy Spirit, come and fill us. Because this is your mission. This was your big dream for us. That you would put your spirit on the inside of us. And that you would fill us. And that we would be the carriers of your glory, of your goodness, of your kingdom realm, and of your power. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you breathed your spirit on us for life and for power. Thank you that you've filled us. Lord, thank you that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God, that we don't have to be double-minded in our love for you and our fear of uh, whatever might come. Lord, we are not a double-minded people, but we are steadfast on this one thing. We have seen your face. We have fallen deeply in love with you. We have been completely transformed and set on a new course. And so, God, would you just... As we prayed last week, would you 
put the whole armor of God on us today, Lord. Would you cover our heads, Lord, with the helmet of salvation? Would you put on our chest, Lord, the breastplate of righteousness? Would you put in our hand the sword of the spirit, the belt of truth? Lord, would you shod our feet with the gospel of peace? And Lord, would you um, stir in us prayer, prayer, Lord, that we would be able to stand and stand in confidence and boldness in Jesus' name. Lord, cause our hearts to be quickened, Lord, and um, challenged. Lord, I would say lovingly do it, but do it however you want to do it, God. Come however you want to. You said you would shake anything that can be shaken. And we see shakings all over the earth right now. Do what you need to do, God. I submit to you. My love for safety, Lord, and my love to be comfortable. Push me out of my comfy chair, Lord. Push me out of my comfort zone. Do what you want to do with my life, God. I am yours. And Lord, all of the things that would keep me from responding and saying, yeah, I'm coming to that wedding. I'm going to be there with my wedding clothes on. Lord, cause all of those preoccupations to be nothing in the face of Jesus. Because nothing is as lovely and nothing is as wonderful as knowing you, God. And Lord, as we sang this morning, you are infinitely greater. You are infinitely higher. That's who you are. We just look at you, Jesus. We look at you and everything fades out when we behold you. Thank you, God, that we don't have to fear for you are with us, and you are always with us, even to the end. So Lord, in this church, in my life, in my family here, God, make us bold, make us courageous, and fill us fresh, Holy Spirit. Send us out, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're on mission. <laughs> we are. We're on mission. So this week, your mission is to repent like crazy. I'm just kidding. I mean, if that's what happens, do it. But push yourself outside of your comfort zone with the Lord. Yield to those little things that he's saying to you. When you do, it's like a domino effect. The more you step out, the more you're encouraged. The more you step out, the more you're empowered. The more you step out, the more you walk in authority. That was the secret sauce for the disciples. He had to, he, he had to go so they could be empowered. And they did. And they turned the whole world upside down. So let's go. Thanks for listening to Jesus Pursuit's weekly sermon. If you would like to be a part of seeing people encounter God, experience transformation, and be equipped to advance the kingdom, you have the opportunity to partner with us through giving at jesuspursuit.org forward slash give. Together we can make Jesus famous in Albany, the Northwest, and the nations. We hope you have a blessed week and we'll see you next time.